A raven croaks its guttural song, turns, tucks in its wings, and dives before spreading its wings and catching itself again. Someone is having fun. Welcome to the Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark. Those of us who live in northern climates know that temperatures around 40 degrees Fahrenheit in the spring feel quite different than the same temperatures in the fall. After a summer of shorts and t-shirts, highs in the 40s have us scrambling for long johns and sweaters. But after a winter of sub-freezing temperatures requiring many warm layers covering us from head to toe, a day with a high around 40 has us outside in t-shirts. That response is not just Yankee enthusiasm for spring. Those of us who spend time outdoors in winter undergo physiological changes that help us adjust to the colder weather. A study following the physiology of Quebec City mail carriers found them to have lower heart rates and lower blood pressure at the end of the winter than at the beginning, for example. Nevertheless, it is the human ability to make clothes, fire, and shelter that is our most useful winter adaptation yet. But how do animals with tiny, delicate-seeming legs and feet, like birds and deer, handle sub-freezing temperatures? Gathering firewood near a Wyoming campsite one winter, I observed tiny kinglets, birds that weigh no more than two pennies, flitting in the treetops. Mule deer hoof prints studded the dense, icy snowpack. With my long johns, winter boots, hat, down jacket, and hands stuffed in my pockets and still feeling chilly, I spared a moment of appreciation for these resilient critters. They have an amazing adaptation to dealing with cold temperatures that replaces the need to build fires or elaborate shelters. Countercurrent heat exchange. Picture a wet duck standing on ice or paddling through sub-freezing ocean waters. How is it that their skinny feet, without fat or feathers for protection, don't freeze? The arteries that pump blood away from the heart and the veins that pump blood back to the heart are situated right next to each other in bird feet and legs. That means that the warm blood going out to the feet travels right alongside the colder blood coming up from the feet back to the core. This contact between hot and cold reduces heat loss because it makes the temperature gradient between the feet and the outside world less extreme. The blood in the extremities stays a little warmer, and the blood returning to the core isn't quite as cold and energy-intensive to warm back up. In our hooved mammals, like deer and moose, the same countercurrent heat exchange is at play throughout their entire legs as well. Humans do not have such a slick system for keeping our extremities warm. Instead, we experience something called the Lewis reaction, or hunting response. When we start to get cold, our bodies shunt blood away from our extremities and hold it in the core to help us avoid hypothermia for as long as possible. It is more important to avoid hypothermia and stay alive than save our extremities from frostbite. So shunting blood into the core is part one of the hunting response. On that same wintry camping trip with my kinglet and mule deer neighbors, I had forgotten my gloves and found myself setting up a tent on the snow, barehanded, the cold metal of the tent stakes, snatching what warmth my fingers still had. Rushing to finish setting up this critical shelter so that I could get a fire started, 
I skipped taking breaks to warm my fingers in my pockets or on my cheeks. I just wanted to get the job done. At the very moment when I didn't think my fingers could get any colder, they suddenly flooded with warmth thanks to part two of the hunting response. This human physiological reaction to extreme cold comes in quite handy in the final moments before potential long-term damaging frostbite sets in. Our blood vessels push warm blood into our extremities at what might feel like the last minute, giving us another chance to remedy the situation before injury. The hunting response is a fantastic adaptation, but there sure are times when I wish I had countercurrent heat exchange happening in my fingers and toes. While we might feel fancy by being able to make shelters, fire, and clothing that allow us to live in almost any environment, we can always learn from the amazing tricks of our nature neighbors. In fact, many air conditioning systems use the same countercurrent heat exchange system to influence desired temperatures more precisely. You can download this episode and find a link to the transcript, photos, information about podcasting, and more by visiting archives.weru.org. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phonology. (laughs) 